God, as we open your word, I pray we'd have ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of what we read. Thank you for your sufficient word that you have revealed it to us. I pray, oh God, that we would, in humility, receive it this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, if you'd open up to the book of James, open up to the book of James. We're going to be looking at chapter one. I I came uh, last Saturday. I, I'm so thankful for Mike Ferry and uh, him preaching last week. Uh, last Saturday, uh, me and my older three, uh, Ellie, Luke, and Andrew, we went to see my sister, and she lives in New Jersey, and so we had quite a trip. We uh, we left last Saturday at about 4 o'clock because I had to time the rental vehicle to get it back on the opposite end. And we left, and we drove about six hours Saturday night, and we got up. We got in bed late, and Sunday morning we drove to uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, we spent the rest of the day in D.C., and then on Monday we were there, and on Monday night we drove to New Jersey. Uh, I mean, we, we went after it. On Tuesday we went to Philadelphia. On uh, Wednesday, we went to the New Jersey coast. On Thursday, we went to New York City. And we, we were moving. And I mean, I put on some miles. I think I drove about 2,500 miles uh, this last week. And, and I, I was looking at um, that crazy app. I had two of them going. I had Waze and I had my Google Maps. And I have never used that crazy app like I did this last week. And everywhere I was, I was constantly asking the question, is my driving? in line with the map. Can you relate with me? And you get, you, you know, you, you can get cocky with that thing and not be paying attention. And I was listening to music and I was, I was going back and forth from my map. And occasionally I'd be really nervous and I'd jump over to my map and I was always looking and I was always trying to make sure. And, and here's the whole gist of the series that we've been doing this summer. Is my life, my faith, and my practice and my perspective in line with the saving truths that we have in Jesus Christ. Because here's what often happens. Often, while we may be very perceptive of the need that we have to live looking at the map and the GPS when we're on those trips, often in our Christian lives, we begin to lose sight and we begin to look at ourselves, look at others. We begin to, to look at trials Look at, even disregard the thought patterns in our life and the strongholds that are being built. To disregard our behavior, our ministry, our view of the future. And the goal of this series has not only been to seek to apply how the scripture affects every arena of life, but it's also been to recognize that it's in those saving truths that then and only then can I now live the way God calls me to live. This morning, we're going to close out the series. We've looked at how the gospel affects the way I view myself, how the gospel affects the way I view others, how the gospel affects the way I view my trials, how it affects the way that I think, how the gospel affects my behavior, how the gospel affects my view of evangelism, how the gospel affects my view of the future, we wrap it up this morning, how the gospel, our gospel implications and the role of scripture. 
gospel implications and the role of Scripture. You see, apart from a steady intake of the Word of God in my life, apart from the implanted Word being placed there by the Holy Spirit of God, all of these practical suggestions fall on deaf ears because the Holy Spirit has designed the means through which I live and am reminded of the truth of the gospel. This morning, James chapter 1, we're just going to look primarily at verse 21. James chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 18. It says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We look at this passage in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And now look at verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Gospel implications and the role of Scripture. This morning we're going to see four observations out of verse 21. Four observations out of verse 21 that really helps define the posture we are to have before God, before sin, before His word. And, and what we look at here is, is we'll see that this relates to every area of the Christian life. The first observation that we look at in the text here is that there is a putting aside. There's a putting aside. What's going on in the book of James? James is writing to the dispersed tribes and, and all that has happened to these people and, and, and all that has taken place from the very beginning of the persecutions that we see that started with the Apostle Paul uh, when he was a lost man. And, and we saw all of that begin with the death of Stephen. And we saw that all of the persecutions, it, it's really amazing because when you read Acts and you see the call and the command to be uh, my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, that the church really wasn't following in obedience to that. But what happened as a result of the death of, of Stephen was that, that God used the circumstances and the sufferings surrounding that, in, that, that whole episode, and it literally put the, his people in places they had never been before. And when we look at that, James is writing to a group of people that are going through intense trial, and, and so much of the book of James is dealing with suffering, and, and it deals with the reality of what is real faith, and, and we see in the book of James that real faith works, that through the enablement of the Spirit, real faith is going to be demonstrated. When a person is, is right with God vertically, it's going to be demonstrated horizontally. It's going to be manifested horizontally because, you know, if we fall into the trap of thinking that our works save us, we're no different than any other works-based system. What makes Christianity unique is, is that our salvation is based on works, but it's based on the work of Jesus because we are sinners, we are unclean, and all of our, all of our, our garments or all of our righteousness is like filthy garments. 
And so when we look at this, we, we see that James is writing, explaining the nature of true faith, and he shows that in the test of trials, he demonstrates what God does in suffering and how the believer in Christ is called to respond and how they respond under his grace. And so that's the backdrop of the book of James. And, and in the verse 18, we, we just saw it. He, he starts out, and it's fascinating, and I pray that you see this more and more. You see the implications of the gospel immediately. It's everywhere. You, can't, you see, if you don't see the implications of the gospel when it comes to the commands of Scripture, you're tempted to fall into moralism. If you just hear what you're to do, but you don't understand how you can do it, what does that do for you? It gives you the sense of, well, in order to be a better person, I heard at church today, I need to do this, this, and this. And what is that? It's moralism. It's not the gospel. There's a lot of people that take pride in going to church and take pride in doing good things, but they've never understood the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Christ Jesus has done for us and and living his life for us and being a substitute for our sin. And so when we look at the book of James, we see in verse 18, he gives this incredible truth of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth. I love this. This morning, we could go around the room, and we could share testimonies, and I could say to you, hey, can you come up here and just share what happened in in your conversion experience when you came to Christ? And a lot of us would be like, you know, I I was this age, or I was at this experience in life, and, and I trusted Jesus Christ. But what we could all discover as we related our conversion experiences is that the reality of our salvation was not up to us. It wasn't up to our own will. It was up to the will of God. And it says in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth. He brought us about a saving work. And here's what's so exciting. He gives this reminder that that what God has done for us in Jesus is now to be the basis of how we live. And he says in verse 19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I think in the most immediate context of James, what are you tempted to? How are you tempted to respond when suffering and trial come in your life? Are you tempted to get a little bit perplexed and and get a little bit angry at the circumstances that you're dealing with, that your brother or sister in the Lord's not dealing with, that are going to the same church you are? And one of the things we're tempted to do, we're tempted to question, we're tempted to come at God, we're tempted to be angry. And what does he say? Rather than be angry... What do you need to do? You need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And then he reminds them, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And now the therefore, going back to verse 18, therefore, in light of what God has done for you, in light of the saving work that he has brought forth, put away all filthiness and rampant. Wickedness. We see a putting aside. And, and this really becomes like, uh, you know, you go to college and you've got your English 101 
you got all your 101s. The basic life of the Christian is confession and repentance. Martin Luther, in his 95 Thesis, he said in number one, right off the bat, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And here, the James writing to the church, he says, know this, my beloved brothers, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. We, we've looked at this many times, even in this study, we looked at Paul in Ephesians 4, and we looked at Colossians 3, and how the reality for the Christian is that when you believed in Jesus Christ, we saw in verse 18 that actually was a divine sovereign work of God, mysteriously, that took place. But what's amazing is, in light of all the other things that are amazing, is that if you were to explain it to somebody, and, and they're like, what happened to you when you became a Christian? You could describe it by the putting off of a garment and the putting on of a garment. You put off the old man. And now you are a new creature in Christ. You put on the new man in Christ. And so one of the things that James does, it's interesting because this is clearly being taught in the church. And, and here we, we believe that James would have been talking about this even pre-Paul, potentially. And what he's writing about is, is the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the word. And the Holy Spirit was making it clear to the church how they were to live and how they were to function and how they were to act. And he's basically saying, look, in light of what has happened to you, be consistent. Be who you are. Live in light of who you are. If, if the old man and who you were before Christ has been put aside, why would you daily in your behavior put on that old man? Why would you go to the laundry basket and pull out the stinkiest shirt in the, the whole pile? Because that that's not good for anybody, Right? And when you put on that old shirt, it may be all right for a moment, but the moment you walk outside, it reeks, and everyone's looking at you funny, and you're divisive because you stink, right? Well, in your behavior, we are to put on that which is reflective of who we are in Christ. And what does that mean? That, that's the same terminology as abide in Christ, the same terminology as Paul says in Romans, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same terminology as Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, put on the new man. And so what is he doing? He's saying, put off, put off the, all that filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Put off that filthiness and rampant wickedness. What does that look like? I, I want you to think of something here. When we look at this, this, this observation of putting aside sin, notice I was looking at a guy by the name of Bruce Hurt, and he said, putting off filth precedes putting on the word. Putting off filth precedes putting on the word. Sometimes we fall into a trap of thinking where we think almost as Christians, we can be neutral in our mindset towards God. Have you ever in a period of time in your Christian life not taken sin seriously? And you come around the things of the word of God, and yet you're habitual, not habitually, but you're actively involved in sin patterns? And you're coming to the word almost as if, well, I can be in this compartment over here, but I can hear the word in this compartment over here. Don't be surprised 
if you're not living out of the implications of new life in Christ when that's happening. Why? Because God is calling you, calling you as a follower of Jesus Christ to do what? To put aside filthiness. To put aside rampant wickedness. The word filthiness is the idea of, just like it sounds, filth. It, it, it's speaking of moral, your, your moral life. Is it filthy or is it pure? And then he says rampant. And that rampant word means like an overflow. It's almost like the idea of residue. Residue that remains. Put aside all that remains of wickedness. We are believers that are now in Christ Jesus, but we still deal with our flesh because our bodies are not yet glorified. And while we live in these bodies of flesh and we deal with this battle between the flesh and the spirit, we're not to cater to the flesh, we're to put aside the flesh. He says rampant wickedness. I've mentioned this to you before in, in, in the past when we were going through James. This word filthiness it, William Barclay, he makes the comment, he said that this word was what could be used for filth, but it has one very interesting connection. He says it, it often is used of wax in the ear. Now, I know that's not something you want to think about before lunch. You ever had wax in your ear? I remember one time, uh, and we can laugh at this because uh, my dad told me, he said, Stephen, he goes, I went to the ENT. And he said, they clean my ears out. And he said, it's amazing. He said, I haven't heard my car start in years. <laughs> I was like, Dad, that's weird. And he was like, no, they cleaned out my ears. I'm hearing things I haven't heard in a long time. Let me ask you something. This morning, you got a wax buildup that's making you spiritually dull of hearing the things of God. You see, James is saying, look, in light of the reality of what God has done for you in Christ, live, live with such a disposition before God, you put aside, you live reflective of who you are, you live reflective of what has taken place, and you put aside that, that, that daily behavior, you put aside that wickedness, all that remains, that rampant wickedness, that filthiness. Put it aside. Put it aside. Live in light of these realities. We see not only a, a putting aside here, but we see in this text something else. There's not only a putting aside, there's a reception. There's a reception. You know, you think about what is a reception for? If somebody has a reception, they are being welcomed to something. If there's a uh, new president at a college and they have a if, say, Northeast hires a new president and then now there's a reception for the new president today from 4 to 6 o'clock, drop in. What are you doing? You're welcoming the new president. There is a welcoming that God calls us to when it comes to the Word of God. And notice how the text reads here. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive, receive with meekness the implanted Word. I love this because the only way that we could be capable of receiving is if we've been brought from death to life. But good news, good news in the gospel. By his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Do you realize the good news? 
the good news is that those outside of Christ, the good news is that those that are in Christ are no longer outside of Christ and once where they had no capacity to hear the word of God. Now they've been awakened. They've been given new life. And James says here, receive, receive. And, and the word means, it, it's the idea of to receive deliberately and readily. It's used in a couple of places that really give a vivid picture of it. In John 4, verse 45, it says, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. That's the word. The Galileans welcomed him. It, it, think of it like this. Put aside all filthiness and rampant wickedness and welcome the word. Welcome the word. Another place it's used is Acts 17, verse 11. And this is that passage that speaks about the Bereans. You remember the Bereans, how they listened to the apostles' teaching? And, and it says, now these Jews were more, more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word, and notice how it explains how they received it. They received the word with all eagerness. Eagerness. I've mentioned this to you before, but uh, let's just imagine that... Um, You've had this happen before. Is there anybody like growing up that you thought gave good gifts at Christmas? And as a kid, you got excited. You know, maybe you had uh, one aunt that uh, brought you homemade crafts, and you're not too excited about that. Your mom gets mad at you. You'd be nice when she gives you that gift. And you're thinking, I don't want a homemade craft. But maybe another aunt, you know, she buys big-time stuff. And you're like, oh, boy, here she comes. And you know the kind of store she shops at. You know where she likes to go. Maybe she knows you're a sports fan, and she likes to buy you tickets. And you're thinking, what game am I going to this fall? I'm, I'm going to get a ticket. And when she comes, and she's got that package, and it's wrapped, how do you receive it? You receive it with eagerness. You receive it with anticipation. You welcome it. James writing to these dear Christians going through suffering and going through trials. He says, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all rampant wickedness, receive with meekness the implanted word. Receive it with anticipation. I love the passage that Gary read to you earlier. And I love this because the Christian experiences the miracle and the life-giving nature of the word. And, and notice that this follower of the Lord, this follower of Yahweh, in Psalm 19, notice this is David, Psalm of David. Listen to what he says. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And notice verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. My sister took us to a restaurant she really liked, and she explained it before we got there. She said, oh, this is good. It's hard to explain something if you haven't tasted of it. 
But David, and even here through the work of the Holy Spirit as he pens these words, he writes speaking even of his own experience with that very word. Friend, today, it could be that as we get into August and you're overwhelmed with everything that's going on next week and the following week and the calendars just fill it up and you get through the first two weeks of August and it's like, oh boy, look at all September. Isn't it crazy how that can work? It could be that that you're dull spiritually right now in your heart and in your mind because you're tolerating, you're sort of going through the motions, you're checking the boxes, you're going to church whether every week or once every month or once every two months. You feel like you've got that religious quota going on. But I want you to remember something. As a believer in Christ, God's grace makes it possible, friend, today to live out of the good news of Jesus. And the good news of Jesus makes it possible and frees you to not be in bondage to what you were in bondage before and to put it aside, to put aside that wickedness, to put aside that filthiness, to put it aside and welcome eagerly the word of God, which does work in our life. You see, not only does he give it a putting aside, he, there's a reception in this passage, but look at the proper attitude that's only possible through the grace of the resurrected Jesus, our Lord. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. How are we going to live in a consistency, how are we going to live reflecting on who we are, what we have, and how that relates to our day-to-day? It's not going to take place as we allow those weeds of sin just to grow within our lives. It's not going to happen like that. God's grace is calling us to say, pick those weeds, put them away, put them away, put them away. Put them away. And by God's grace, as we respond to his word and his saving activity in our life, as he enables us to see what those things are, as he convicts us of sin, as we turn away from them, we now become more receptive to the things of God. As we receive welcome, now how do we welcome? We welcome with meekness. The word meekness is often thought of as weakness. It's, it's actually like when we think of a meek person, it's actually a strong person under control. But it really describes like a disposition of the heart. A meek person is gentle. A meek person is teachable. A meek person accepts how God works in the circumstances of their life. I find this fascinating because in the New American Standard, if I'm not mistaken, it, it, it's, it's received with humility. It's, it's humility is the attitude that the text emphasizes. And often when I think of this phrase, what is the first thing you think in opposition to humility? What would that word be? Pride. Pride. And, and, and you think about pride, and, and, and pride would be an appropriate thing to consider here because in James chapter 4, this is such a comforting passage. He says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What, a, what, a, what an amazing promise 
But what an amazing warning. God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to the proud. But when I was looking at this and, and going a little further with it, I was surprised at something. You know what the real antonym is here? What is the opposite of the word meekness? It's, it, while pride is involved, it's not primarily pride. It's primarily anger. Interesting. Now, wait a minute. Anger, why would that be? It seems to fit in the context that what James is dealing with is how people deal with their circumstances and suffering in life. You know, have you ever noticed if you squeeze something that what's on the inside comes out? And, and sometimes the way we respond to difficulty is that it leads us to be tempted not only to be irritable at God, and sometimes we don't like to say that we're irritable to God, we're irritable to everyone around us in the midst of our circumstances. You ever done that? Where you're, you're irritated at something in your life and your kids come around and they can say one thing and you're all over them. I mean, you're just all over them. And it's like, what in the world is wrong with you? Well, what happens? You're irritable, but there's something else gnawing at you. And for the Christian, we have to be careful by God's grace to understand a lot of times it's those secondary reactions that reveal our primary reaction to God. But he says, look, be meek. Don't be angry. And this goes along with pride because the person that can be tempted to be angry or bitter at the circumstances God's allowed in their life is the same person who's proud, right? They all go together. But he's saying, look, be meek, be teachable. He says, receive with meekness. Receive with the teachable spirit the word, the implanted word. This is a phenomenal passage. You remember when we were in the book of Hebrews? And we were talking about the promises of the new covenant. And we were talking about how the promise of the new covenant is that there would be a day when God would put his word in our hearts. He would implant it. This is what he's speaking of here. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And in verse 33, he says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Believer, today if you're here and you're hearing the word of God, the word has been implanted in you, but you're to live. I, one commentary said it this way. By adding the word humbly to the command, James reminds us that we need to be open and receptive to the work of the word in the heart. Question for all of us today. Are you living with a disposition daily in your attitude? Are you living receptive to God's word in your experience? You say, what kind of experience? What about in your relational life? Are you living, going before God's word and saying, Lord, how do you want my marriage to look? God, what do you think and how do you consider my dealings with this person in the church? God, what do you think and how do you look at my dreams and my goals and my vision for my life? God, what do you think about my priorities and my treasures? It, there, there's a humility, there's a microscope, there's an illuminating light that's taking place here. The teachable individual that James is describing, that God is calling us to, that's only possible through the good news of Jesus, is to say, hey, put aside 
and open your hands and your heart with a teachable spirit to the word that God has placed within you. I love this. There's a putting aside. There's a reception. There's a proper attitude. But finally, there's a deliverance. There's a deliverance here. Can you relate with me to the times in your life, and it's only by the grace of God. I've heard so many of you at times over the years come to me and say, you won't believe this. Like it could have been something we're studying as a church. And they come and they say, wow, the Lord really worked in my heart in this and this. Could be they describe something in their own devotional life. But it's so comforting to hear that God's working within us. It's, he's working because of his grace. But, but where people are open and, and, and yielded to what God's word says, and they begin to see how they're thinking incorrectly. They begin to see how they're understanding their identity incorrectly. They begin to see how they're treating others sinfully. They begin to see a different perspective on trials. They begin to see a different hope as it relates to the future. What's happening there? James 1.21. What's happening there? The Holy Spirit is softening their heart. And the Holy Spirit is creating a spirit of meekness within them. And they're willing. And they're teachable. And God is doing what? A work of renewal through his implanted word. Isn't that good news? I tell you, we all can relate to struggle. We all can relate to looking at life with the wrong perspective. But I want to encourage you. God is so good. He gives a greater grace. And in Jesus Christ, he's given us his word. And that very word is that which purifies, enlightens, guides, reproves, corrects, renews, grows, on and on and on as we look and see how the Lord guides. And here he speaks of the saving, rescuing, delivering power of the word. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This is fun because is the word instrumental in the saving that we experience? Absolutely. What did we just read in verse 18? He brought us forth. How? By the word of truth. The word of God. Is the word instrumental to our salvation in the future? Absolutely. It is key. It, it is the aspect of all of this. Um, I was looking at different statements on this and, and just so blessed. I mean, it's the power of the word to initiate salvation, keep it alive and growing. And finally, bring it to final glory, complete and perfect. And the author goes on to say, we have been saved through the power of the word of God. We are kept and saved through the power of the word. And we will be ultimately, completely, and eternally saved through the power of the word. But here... I really believe that in the context, he's speaking not of past salvation, but he's speaking of present deliverance. How do we experience rescuing, 
in our day-to-day. I was, uh, we got a chance, we bought the cheap seats for the Braves and the Phillies Tuesday night, and I was uh, pretty high up in uh, Philly Stadium, and I was looking at the glass, because at first it was really hot, we were sitting in one of the upper deck sections down by the glass, and I started thinking about, you know, it's tempting, isn't it, when a foul ball's coming, to try to be Superman? And, and, it, can't you, and it always makes me nervous because, you know, I, my human nature is to do what? To get that ball? And, and I started, I was sitting there with my brother-in-law, and I was thinking, man, there's some crazy, some tragic stories of people going after foul balls. But there was one I found at a game, at an Astros game, back in the 70s. Don't you love looking back at, like, many years ago? Everybody just looked completely like they came from another planet. And, and, and this guy was on the edge on the front row, and he came out in Astro Stadium, and he came out of his seat and was literally feet, I mean, head first, going off of the upper deck. And all of his people around him, his buddies, I guess, they were grabbing his legs. I mean, the guy's just hanging there. And they rescued him. And he came up. And I, I guess the crowd really cheered then because he got the foul ball and his, he was saved. You know, it was a great deal. He was rescued. Let me ask you something. How are you going to experience rescuing, delivering, power in the day-to-day battles of the Christian life? How are you going to walk victorious? How are you going to walk victorious over your mind? How are you going to live victorious through the power of the Spirit in your perspective with trials? How are you going to live walking in the freedom the Spirit brings as it relates to conflicts around you? How are you going to do that? You can't do it in and of yourself. But the good news of the gospel is that through the power of Christ, God has called us to submit in humility before the word of God. And what happens as we walk yielded to that very word with teachable spirits, willing to be exposed, willing to learn, willing to be reproved and repent and confess, we experience the life, resurrection, power of Jesus working through his very word. Amen? That's good news. That's good news. Where are you at today? Where are you struggling? I I was thinking of of all of these truths. Listen to this. This hit me, and I was so blessed by it. He says, Peter, of course, is writing, and he goes on. He says, uh, let's see here. He says, a familiar teaching from the early church in which a reminder of the spiritual birth God had graciously given his people through his word was followed by an exhortation to shun the kind of behavior associated with the old life and to begin living by the standard of the word that had saved them. That whole now because of Christ. But there was another passage I was actually looking for. I didn't find it. Where, you know, so many times Paul will say, put off. And the next part of the analogy is what? Put on. He doesn't do that here. He says, put aside filthiness and rampant wickedness. And then he tells them to do what? Respond to the word. And one commentator said so beautifully, he said he points them to the very word that brings about the power and the behavior of the new man. Same analogy, different way of saying it. Today as we close. How are we going to look at life through the lens of the gospel and the way we view ourselves? How are we going to look at the way we view others in a way that's consistent 
with what we learn in the scripture about what God has done for us in Christ? How are we going to view our trials and our circumstances? How are we going to deal with our thought lives? How are we going to deal with our behavioral patterns? How are we going to deal with the way we look at a lost world? How are we going to deal with the way we look at the future? It's going to be recognized and realized and experienced as we are yielded in humility to the truth of the word of God. We, we were coming into Scottsboro, finally. I've never been so glad to see this town in my life. And we were coming into Scottsboro, and I still, I, I, I was in a trance. I'd been on that map so long, and it was t- I was looking at the map coming into Scottsboro, and Andrew goes, Dad, do you think you need that map anymore? <laughs> like, I think you got this one. I don't think you need it anymore. And I was thinking about it this morning, you know, what we're accustomed to driving-wise, we don't need the map any longer. Don't fall into the trap of thinking you graduate from the gospel. You don't get to a place in your Christian life where it's all up here, don't need to reflect on it down here. Daily, we need to reflect. We need to meditate. We need to ponder the good news of the saving work of Jesus and how it affects every aspect of our life. Would you bow your head? This morning, I got some questions for you as you just consider this in an attitude of prayer. I want you to ask yourself a question. God, what do you want me to put aside? What is it in my life right now that you're calling me to put aside that I'm neglecting? Maybe this morning it's a question of, Lord, how can I respond to your word in a way that honors you in regards to my thoughts, in regards to other people, in regards to my trials? I think another appropriate question for all of us this morning is, Father, would, would you reveal to me if I have a proud heart, even an angry heart? Would you show me today if you're hearing me and you're thinking, by the grace of God, I have a sensitive heart that wants to be taught. Praise God for that. That's the work of his grace in you. Father, thank you for your word that you've so graciously given to us. Lord, help us to see that your word renews, your word grows us. Your word, the spirit acts like a surgeon through your word, discerning our very thoughts and tensions of our hearts. Help us as we approach this fall, as we approach August, and I pray we would live with a desire to follow you, a desire to surrender our hearts to you and your word. Thank you for the good news that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection power of your son. Thank you, Lord, that you didn't leave us as orphans. God, you, you literally enable everything that you command us. 
And it all comes out of these promises that are yes and that are ours in Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, we would not fall into the trap of moralism. Lord, I pray we would not fall into the trap of a passivity, apathy, or any sense of neglecting the call that you've given to us in our life. Thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.